How are you tonight? Turn with me in your Bibles to the 21st chapter of the book of Acts. I can't wait to try to teach with you tonight this particular place in Scripture because it speaks so much relevance to us as believers of how we are to have this, what, we, what we've entitled it, courageous commitment. And I think that's available to all of us. I don't think it's just for those uh, chosen few saints, you know, that are really special, like Paul and, and, and the rest who we are going to look at today. As you're going to see when we read here in the first 14 verses of Acts chapter 21, Paul is warned through the Spirit not to go back to Jerusalem. But as you and I are going to read in a moment, he refutes that he is going to go back. Now, here is one of the things that's fun about studying the Word of God, at least from my perspective. It's very fun. It's because commentaries, some men, some, some people write, well, Paul was out of the will of God, disobedient. And we see a picture of Paul in disobedience. Now, I don't say that at all. I don't find that, and I don't think that Bible predicts or, or gives us reason to believe that. But, you know, people got to write. People have got to write what they feel about what is taking place. What we are going to see here is a man by the name of Paul, who once was uh, terrorized the church, Saul of Tarsus. He, we're going to see a man that is, is so set on doing what God has called him to do. Now... When we go into this message, one of the things that is good for you and me to try to find out in our lives is what is it that God's called you to do? That sometimes can be very difficult to find. Here's why. We're too, we're not courageous enough to just start doing something, to, to serve the Lord, to, to, to work in some capacity to find what is it that we just get so much joy out of when we do. And that is something that only you can find and only for yourself. And, and I know they have classes and they have books and you can read what are your spiritual gifts and you can find all sorts of things that will lead you. There is no better way than just getting busy serving the Lord. And before you know it, you're going to be doing exactly what it is that God wants you to do and people will be, be blessed by your ministry, your work, and, and it will be a, a win-win situation on every front. There was a woman that, that goes to our church. Um, her name is Wanda. I don't know if any of you know her now. She works with the children. She just had a stroke the other day. And so she's in the hospital. So I call her. And um, Wes and everybody's visited her. And, and in fact, one of the, the young ladies that works out with our children right now said she went and visited her. And she didn't, she didn't know what to say. She didn't feel like she was very comfortable in that setting. And I understand that completely. And she walked in the room. And the moment she walked in the room, Wanda uttered, how are your children? How are you doing? You know, instead of trying to comfort Wanda, Wanda was comforting those that are in the room. The reason I mentioned Wanda is she told me to tell you that she loves you. And I said, well, that's good. I like that. And she also um, is the type of person that I think, I think in just getting busy serving the Lord, she's found her niche. She loves our children. And that is a... That is a very blessing to have in a church, uh, people who just love on our children. And so Paul, back to Acts chapter 21, knows exactly what it is he's been called to do. Now, he's very fortunate 
because he got his orders right from the Lord himself. But you and I can get those orders. We can know what it is we've been called to do. We just need to be busy serving the Lord. Look with me at the dilemma of Paul in Acts chapter 21 as he is now going to leave Ephesus. He's going to go back towards Jerusalem. He's going to deliver some money to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem given by the Gentile believers through his travels. Paul, it says in verse 21, when it came about, that we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And after looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit, Do not set foot in Jerusalem. When it came about that our days there were ended, we departed and started on our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we, had re- we, ha- we arrived at Tol- Ptolemais. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. And as they were staying there for some days, as we were staying there for some days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet in hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we... Well, as we as well as the local residents began begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, then Paul answered, he said, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we felt silence, remarking, The will of the Lord be done. It's an interesting statement there in verse 14. What we find in verse 14, the will of the Lord be done, sets the tone for this particular chapter. It sets the tone of the sovereignty and the will of God within all of our lives. Not only, not only when we read this do we see the sovereignty and the the plan of God within Paul's life. But as you and I study through Scripture and observe the Word of God, we find these words, the will of the Lord be done applicable, relevant to every single one of us. Sadly, sadly, we don't always see, nor do we always sense what the will of the Lord is within our own lives. And I'm here to try to reason with you and me tonight that we ought to know 
and we can know. So let's first pray, and then let's see what the Lord says to your heart and my heart as we go through this particular study. Oh, Father, our most wonderful and gracious God, the one who fulfills, Father, the heavens and this earth, the one who is above and beyond any and all, there is no other God but you. And so we come to worship you, and we come to give you praise, and we come really to thank you, Father, for the privilege of knowing you and for the privilege of believing within our hearts that you know and love us and that you have devised a a great and marvelous plan so that we might be with you forever and ever and ever. While we are here on this earth, dear Father, um, there is things that you have asked us to do. And some just don't know what it is. And we flounder around and sometimes we waste really precious moments and and precious um, times by not doing what you've asked us to do. And so, Father, please open up our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, that we might behold wonderful things from your word and also open up our minds and our hearts and our thoughts so that we might catch a glimpse of what it is that you've asked of us. Father, move me aside, I beg of you. Teach us, Father, myself included tonight, so that we might sense this commitment, this courageous commitment of Paul. And it might be also a part of our lives. Some of us will not even come close to saying we will sacrifice our lives for your will to be done, but wonder, Father, what it is that you've asked of each of us to do. Help us to understand this. It would really make living the rest of our lives so much more fun, so much more a blessing. Teach us, dear Father, please, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you study at all this place in Scripture, you're going to come across some commentaries that are going to tell you that Paul made a major mistake by not listening to the Spirit through these people and forging ahead, going to Jerusalem. Because, as you and I have already read in verse 4, we see that Paul is clearly warned. He has said, well, let's, let me read verse 4 for you. After looking up the disciples... We stayed with them seven days. By the way, the we is Luke now has joined back with Paul. So anyways, they are staying there seven days and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. And so Paul, they tell Paul, don't go, don't go. But Paul says to them, not to these people, but to other people who finally, this guy named Agabus, Remember him, and if you look up ahead in verse 10, they were staying with Philip, the evangelist. Philip, in verse 8, the evangelist was one of the eight. He was one of the guys that was chosen, one of the seven, I should say, that was chosen 
in the church when it first began to help fulfill the duties. He be, they became the first real deacons of the church, help fulfilling the duties of things that needed to be done so that the, uh, the apostles could, could spend more time studying the Bible and praying. And so Philip was one of those. Now he has four daughters, four virgin daughters. They also were prophets. They, they were godly young ladies. And so this guy comes in verse 10 named Agabus. He is a prophet. And he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet. And he said, whoever owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to them when he goes to Jerusalem and he will be delivered to the Gentiles. Now, Paul says, checkmate. He says, look, I'm, I'm almost thinking Paul has heard this enough. He's heard enough from enough people, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. And they're telling him what he knows in his heart he wants to do. And so Paul says in verse 13, look, he says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? He says, I am ready not only to be bound, I am ready even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul checkmates them by saying that there's nothing more they really can say regardless of what is thought of Paul. He is perfectly willing to lay down his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I entitled this message, Courageous Commitment. Because when a person is willing to live better, no, not better, when a person is willing to live and or die for their faith in Jesus Christ, there is absolutely nothing that a person can do to stop them. They are bound to do what they feel they must do before the Lord. Now, I thought about this for a while, and I thought about some other people in the Bible that have this type of commitment. Think with me for a moment. Now, you're going to have to turn with me in your Bible. You'll see it up here on the, on the, on the walls. There's, there's Numbers, uh, chapter 14. We're going to look at 1 Samuel, and a little bit later, we'll look at Daniel, chapter 3. There are some courageous people who knew that to be under the will of God was the best and the safest place to be, regardless of their circumstances. Look with me, please, at Numbers chapter 13. Hold your place here in Acts 21. Numbers is right near the, going towards the start of your Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. And we come across two guys named Joshua and Caleb. You know the story? Joshua, Caleb, and ten other guys go into the land, adjoining uh, 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 them. And they go into where the Canaanites are. And, and they are to stalk out the land to see if the people, the Jewish people, can go in and take over the land. And when they go into the land, there are enemies there. And so they look over the enemies, and ten of the spies that go in with Joshua and Caleb say that they're too strong, they're too many, they're too big, they're too much. We can't go in. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, no, on the contrary. Look what they say in verse 30 of chapter 13. Caleb quieted the people. The reason he quieted the people is because the other guys, the ten of the guys, says, we go in there, we're dead. We're dead. And so Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, it meaning the land. 
for we shall surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them, the ten other spies, said, we are not able to go up against these people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. We also saw those who were Nephilim, I don't know how to pronounce the name exactly, uh, sons of Anak. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we are in their sight. Well, and then all the, verse, chapter 14, verse 1, the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried out and they wept that night. And the sons of Israel, it says in verse 2, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, would it be that we had died in the land of Egypt? Would it be that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Now, here's the... Here's a caveat. Listen, you know, when you're in ministry, let me just tell you this. Whenever you're leading any people, you you realize soon that decisions that you make, every decision that you make is major. You realize that. You should see the time. We are blessed. In this church, we are blessed. We have a gentleman who who loves being thorough. We have a man that helps run our church that is so, just make sure every dot is, 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 every I is dotted, every T is crossed. And that's Pastor Wes. He's absolutely incredible. He is gifted in that area beyond anyone I've ever seen. And we have a staff here that doesn't make any move for us as a body of believers, without praying for it and without reasoning about it and without bringing in teams of people to talk it over to see, is there something that we are missing? How does this all fit together? And Pastor West does this. And I'm telling you, he's tireless. He works hard. Every decision that we try to make here at this church goes through that exercise. Everyone, every decision. I mean, the, the height of the, you should have seen them talk about the height of this thing. This, this, this height, this height, so that everybody could see this big nose. I, I, why we worried about that is beyond me. I said, just put me there, darken the room, it'll be enough, you know. Nobody needs to see this face for about an hour. And, and didn't you agonize over how high we, they set up chairs in the back, people sat, people sat in front of them so you could see, it, it was like, it was a, it was a major deal. And, and they did it. They, they, they spent their time doing it, figuring out how can we most minimize those poles that are going to be in there. And when you do things like that, when you, when you make plans for a group of people, no one needs to tell Wes when he puts his, head down in the pillow at night, although he works so hard, I'm sure he falls right asleep. But there's times where I'm sure that he wrestles through the decisions that were made. How will it affect these people? Now listen, here's, when I was reading this, I thought, you talk about weak people. Look at the Israelites, what they say to Moses and Aaron in verse 3. 
Why is it the Lord is bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones are going to become plundered. Do you think that Joshua and Caleb, do you think it rested easy on their shoulders to say, we need to go in and take the land? When if one of them, one of them would have lost a child or their wives, how do you think Joshua and Caleb would have felt? I have been now in ministry long enough to know that's not a comfortable feeling to do anything that might upset the congregation. How hot should this room be? How cold should it be? We get opinions all the time. How bright should it be? How dark should it be? How loud is this? When is this music going to soften up a little bit? Hey, I can't hear it. Would you go out in the music up a little bit? And we wrestle through all of that. And some people tell us what they believe by leaving. I don't like the music. I'm going. So they leave. Breaks our hearts. How do we, how do we juggle that? How? So these people are arguing with Moses and Aaron. And you're going to see in a moment who they're really arguing against. So they said to one another, after they say, would it be better since we might lose our wives and our little ones, and I personally think they were just, didn't have a lot of courage. They said, maybe it'd be better for us to go back to Egypt. And they said to one another in verse 4, let's appoint a leader to return to Egypt. In other words, Moses, Zeres, you guys are really weak. We need better leaders. Well, look at verses, um, oh man. Watch Joshua speak to the people. Verse 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunani, I think. Uh, Never mind. And those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. They just ripped their clothes. Joshua and Caleb just ripped his clothes. And they spoke to the congregation, the sons of Israel, and they said, the land which we passed through to spy out, it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They'll be our prey, says Joshua ibn Caleb. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't fear them. <laughs> what did the people say? That's a, Okay, by golly, we're with you. Look at verse 10. The congregation said, let's stone, let's stone these guys. Let's stone them. They're trying to kill us. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's be slaves again. They forgot how they had it there. Verse 11, the only thing I want you to see about this, the Lord said to Moses, how long are these people going to spurn Joshua and Caleb? Oh, no, I'm sorry. How long are these people going to spurn you and Aaron, Moses? No. Look what God says to him. How often are these people going to spurn me? How long are they not going to believe in me? despite all the signs that I've performed in their midst. We talk about what's happening at this church. In five years, maybe you don't know, a church to be at this, this state, in, in this stable in five years is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, I don't know this for a fact. Wes tells me. When Wes tells me, I believe it. Because he's already investigated. He, he's looked in. And yet we don't want to do some things here at this church because we're not sure we're stable enough. And God has done so many good things for us. But that's not the message. The message is being 
committed to be courageous. How does that happen? How did that happen with, with Joshua and Caleb? I'm not sure I can tell you exactly, except they sensed that God was with them. Look now at 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel's to the right. You'll go past Numbers and hit Deuteronomy and Joshua, and then you'll hit first, uh, Judges and you'll hit 1 Samuel. Well, I'm sorry, Ruth. I didn't see Ruth. 1 Samuel. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. One of the great stories in the book of, of God. David. David was so convinced, so certain, that God was on the side of Jerusalem, the Israelites, that, that God was going to defeat Goliath. God was going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. He was so convinced that as a young lad, he was willing to go against this Goliath, who was about, the Bible says he's about nine feet, nine inches tall, just this big hulk of a guy. His, his spear itself, the spear that he, he, he threw was, was probably heavier than David. So it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 20, David was coming just to see his brothers, really, just to see how they were going in the battle. It says in verse 20, David rose early in the morning, left the flock with the keeper. He was to t- take care of the flock. And he went... As Jesse had commanded him, his father told him, go see how your brothers are doing. And he came into the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. They stood against one another. And David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. He ran towards the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion of the Philistines from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard him. When all the men of Israel saw this man, they fled from him. They were greatly afraid. Well, you know, uh, big guy. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the person who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free. That's not the issue. David spoke in verse 26 to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done to the man who kills this Philistine who takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? I think that's the first sign you see of trash talk in, uh, in, from the Bible. David saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's taunting you and me? He's taunting our God. His brothers get angry with him that, that David makes this statement. They say, well, who are you, David? You've been away taking care of these sheep of yours. We're here in battle, and, and this Goliath is challenging us. So they told Saul of what David said. In verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of this, this, this Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. I'll fight him. I'll fight him, David says. <laughs> Saul says, Man, you're just a kid. Verse 33, He's been a warrior since his youth. This guy is, is tough, David. David says, well, you know something? When I took care of my sheep, I took care of a lion, I took care of a bear. I'm not afraid of this guy. I'm not afraid of him. <laughs> so, so Saul says, okay, put on this armor. And he clothed them in verse 38 with his armor. 
And David, verse 39, girded his sword over his arm and he tried to walk. He hadn't tested this stuff and it, it didn't fit him. And he, it wasn't what he wanted to do. And so he took off this armor and he grabbed five smooth stones and he took his sling and a stick and he ran out towards this Goliath. And if you know the story at all, the, the, the Goliath gets, gets mad that they, they send this little kid to fight him. He says in, in verse 42, he looked and saw David and he disdained him. In other words, this is ridiculous, he thought. He's just a youth, ruddy, a handsome in appearance. Can they not do better than this? The Philistines said to David in verse 43, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. To which David said to the Philistine in verse well, he told, he told David that he was going to kill him. And then David said to the Philistine in verse 45, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. I'm going to, I'm going to kill you, dude. I'm going to kill you. And sure enough, he did. That courageous commitment came from a young man, a young lad, who knew that he was serving his Lord. He knew that with God on his side, who could be against him? You and I have to come to that understanding in our lives. With God on our side, who can defeat us? Nobody. I'm going to tell you about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a moment. And I will also tell you about Daniel. I want you to find, if you would, Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to step into the fiery furnace rather than to give up their conviction that God alone is to be worshipped. Daniel was willing to walk into the lion's den rather than to give up his time of Worship and praise and prayer to his God. And like them, Paul had a ministry. And no, no threats and nothing was going to stop him from doing what God's called him to do. And that's why I want to relate to you and me. Paul was going to deliver relief funds from the Gentile churches to the church in Jerusalem not only to meet their needs financially, but also to solidify the loving unity between Jew and Gentile, to bring the two together. And so despite warnings to Paul against his life, Paul never wavered in his conviction. He was going to fulfill the will of God, which gave him the courage, the commitment, the courageous commitment to see his ministry through no matter the personal consequences. As I said, if God is with us, who can be against us? Listen, within your life, within my life, within our lives as believers, having a courageous commitment follows, follows, folks, a clear purpose of why are you on this earth? What are you living for? Have you thought out why you are serving the Lord your God? Are you serving the Lord your God? 
Joshua and Caleb, they were convinced that God had given Israel the land of Canaan. David was convinced that, that Goliath was going to fall by his by this sling that he was going to throw at him, this stone that he was going to throw at him, and he believed that God would protect him, regardless of the size of his enemy. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were convinced that their one true God was only to be worshipped and no others. Now here's one of the great stories in all of Scripture. Look at Daniel chapter 3 with me, please. Daniel chapter 3. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knew one thing for certain. They knew what they were going to do with their faith. Their plans were set before anyone was going to ask them, what should they do? In Daniel chapter 3, in verse 14... Nebuchadnezzar responded. What he, what he found out, what Nebuchadnezzar found out was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not bow down and worship his image, his God. So in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadmach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? No, no answer. You don't see an answer from them yet. So he says in verse 15, well, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the tigron, the psaltery, the bagpipes, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of fire, of the blazing fire, furnace of blazing fire. Listen to his arrogance. And what God is there who will deliver you out of my hands? Sounds like the giant, doesn't he? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think they had to go home and pray about what their answer was going to be? Do you think they had to think it through? Now, look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. In one voice, this is one answer. Because they already knew what they were going to say if the king was going to ask them anything of this kind. They replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We don't need to give you an answer concerning this matter. In other words, we've already thought it through. We don't have to think it through. We already know what we're going to do in case of an emergency. And speaking with one voice, they say in verse 17, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I absolutely love verse 18. Because you see, verse 18 gives us the whole specter of faith. We believe that God is going to do this, but even if He doesn't. See that there? Look at verse 18. Even if He does not. Watch this now. Even if He doesn't save us, let it be known to you, O King, that we're not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship the golden image that you set up. Listen, their courageous commitment, their faith was already thought through. They had already planned what they were going to do in case of an emergency. There is absolutely no plan B, not any. You want to know something really interesting about this story? Maybe you already know it. Do you remember what happened when they went in the fire? Number one, the the, the guards that threw them in, the king got so enraged by what what they just said. He said, 
Heat it up. More fire. Put more coal and more wood on the fire. I want these guys to burn. And when someone, when the people that brought them close threw them in, the people that threw them in got burned, got consumed by the fire. That's how hot it was. The king looks in there. Let's see if I can find it real quick. In chapter 3, the king looks in. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered. He didn't like these guys a lot. And so when they threw him in, bound, look at verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded. He stood up in a haste. He responded and said to the high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They said, Yep. He said to them, Look, I see four, four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. It says in verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come on out. You servants of the Most High God, listen to him now. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out. It says in verse 27, the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the king's high officials gathered around, saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their trousers were not even damaged. There was not even a smell of fire upon them. You know the only thing that burned off? There's something that burned off of them. Do you know what? The ropes. <laughs> God set them loose. He let the ropes be burned off, but not a thing about them was burned. Their courageous commitment to their God went beyond anything that you and I will ever know. I don't think I would have had the courage to do what these three young men did. And I would have missed the blessings of a lifetime to walk in the midst of that place with Jesus Christ. Let's go back to Acts chapter 21. See, Paul too was convinced that he too ministered and moved in the purpose and the power of God. He already knew what he was going to do. No matter how many warnings he received, and he received enough that he says, listen, in verse 13, what are you doing weeping and crying and breaking my heart? I'm going. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And from that unshakable conviction came his determined courage. That's what I want for you and me, to be a people of courage. We've got some things to do here at this church. More than likely not for me, uh, not for my generation. But my generation needs to do something here at this church to, to, to help what's going to happen to this next generation that comes after us of the Rock Community Church. As we read through already in Acts chapter 21 through verses 1 and 7, we almost, it was almost like a, a, a tour guide. We saw where, where, where Paul went. The islands were on the left. Certain things were on the right. They had to stop certain places so that they could go and visit some friends, Philip and, and his, his four daughters. But as you note that travel, in those days to travel on the sea like that was a, a, a very hassle. It took a lot of energy. And we were reminded just in the travels of Paul, his determination, his desire to get back to do the will of God in Jerusalem. And contrary to what commentators state, Paul was not disobedient 
to the will of God. He was simply determined to do the will of God. And to to refute that thought, all you have to do is observe Paul's life, his pattern of obedience. Look at Acts chapter 20 as we close, please. Acts chapter 20. And read with me verses 22 to 24. In Acts chapter 20, right across the page from chapter 21, Paul says in verse 22, Now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, except, Paul says, I do know something. The Holy Spirit has solemnly testified to me, not just in Jerusalem, but in every city where Paul steps his feet, he will say that bonds and afflictions await him. You see, Paul knew that trouble awaited him wherever he went, but that did not deter him from doing the will of God. What is stopping you and me from doing whatever it is that God's called us to do? And the problem with some of us is, is we don't know what God's called us to do. And so we flounder, we kind of go here and there and wonder what it is that God's called us to do when by now we should know. And so Paul describes his ministry and his life and we see that he was not out of the will of God by just observing Scripture. Look at verse 24. Paul says this concerning his life and his ministry and his faith. He says, I do not count my life as any account, of any account as dear to myself in order that, note, I might finish my course. That's, that's what we talk about here a lot. We talk about, I don't care how you began. I don't. I don't care how you've come to Christ. What I care about is how you and I finish our walk with Jesus Christ. He says that I might finish my course and the ministry. Note again, which I received from whom? He says, I received it from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, for whatever it's worth, and you probably didn't even have an inkling that this was a problem for Paul by some commentators today. For those who may argue that Paul was out of the will of God or is in sin must ask this one question. How could the Holy Spirit forbid Paul from doing what the Lord Jesus Christ already commanded him to do? Impossible. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit was not telling Paul not to go. He was just reminding Paul, when you go there, you're going to go into trouble. And here's the problem with most people today in their faith. I'm going to tell it to you straight because I love you with all my heart. You come to Christ, it is not a bed of roses. It is a fight, it is a battle all your life. And you will go through difficult times. And probably more so because Satan doesn't want you and me to get active. He doesn't want us to do what God's called us to do. And so he'll tweak you there, he'll tweak you there, he'll tweak me here so as to stop doing what we've been called to do. And we'll get cold feet. We'll be fearful. We can't do what... What we feel we've been called to do because we might hurt somebody. We might do something wrong. We need to know going in, in this walk that we have as believers, that there will be trials. You will not miss them. There's churches I know, they're going to tell you with enough faith you won't even have to get sick. 
I heard one pastor say on television one day, I got so angry. He says, I ain't never going to get sick. He says, I have enough faith that I won't catch the flu. You know, those type of men, they really upset me. You see, neither the threat of persecution nor the pleading of well-meaning believers could divert Paul from his call, his ministry. Shouldn't be for you or for me. He retained the courage of his conviction despite people telling him over and over again, you're going to get in trouble. Don't go there. Don't go there, Paul. You're going to be in trouble. But nothing could discourage him. The reason that nothing could discourage him is because he knew what he knew, what he knew from the Lord. And so I ask you as we close, where do you stand? Where do you and I stand in this commitment, this courageous commitment that we've made to the Lord for our lives, our ministries, our faith. And have you thought out, if people are going to try to stop you, what will you do? What will you do? Do you have the answer? Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When the king says, unless you fall down, I'm throwing you into that furnace of fire. And they said, we don't have to give you an answer. We already know what we're going to do. We're not going to worship your God. No way. I'm not going to. You and I need to understand that. We need to get in a place in our lives that we know what we know about our Lord. And we need to be convinced that this is not our home, this earth. The things that we are to do here on this earth are to lead people to Christ to be the best Christian that we can possibly be and be courageous in our faith. Walk with integrity. And that's what Paul did. And for the commentaries that say that he didn't, shame on them. Shame on them. As he said, let me read it to you again and we'll close. He says, I do not consider my life as a, of any account as dear to me. No, he says, I, I want to finish my course, I want to finish the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ. I can only tell you, I've experienced that, and I say amen to it. I pray that you can too. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for being able to get back into the Word and, and to study line upon line the wonders of your Word and the truths of it. Thank you for Paul. Thank you that you, uh, Father... Uh, pulled him out of a despicable group of people who did nothing but persecute believers, put them to death. And then, Father, you changed his life and used him magnificently the rest of his days. May we be the same. Probably none of us here killed believers, did anything of that nature. But I know I did in my time a lot to try to hurt those that were people of faith. May I, Father, like Paul, have a courageous commitment to my life, fulfilling the rest of my days on this earth, like some men of old, like Joshua and Caleb, like, like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, oh dear Father, like, like David, who goes up against the giants, and believes that he is protected by you. And that is where he finds his courage. 
May we do the same, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these dear, dear, dear people who come. I love them so much, Father. I pray your comfort upon Wanda tonight as she is resting in her hospital. I pray for any of us here that have loved ones or even our own selves who aren't feeling quite well, that you would watch over each of us. Let us walk away from here this evening, Father, in love with you, courageously committed to you, and seeking eagerly, Father, what it is that you desire for us, how we might serve you the rest of our days. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I love you all. Have a great, great night. Thanks for being here. See you next week.